0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61, please. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it is page 620. In your pew Bible, 620. Man, I'm turning to Dave Lee up here. I gotta calm down, man. I love you, Dave, but, man, I don't know how you do this every week when you preach. Okay. Let it out, Let it out. I cry, like, once a year, and it's happening, like, right now. Okay, anyway. <laughs> We're good. Good news. All right. So, church, a few months ago, actually, somebody here in our church body, he gave me this article. It was fascinating. I learned that 109 years ago this March, the Reverend Billy Sunday held a seven-week revival in downtown Scranton. In Scranton. On Sunday, March 1st, 1914, uh, Billy Sunday rolled into Scranton and he held services in a specially built built tabernacle near Washington and Walnut Streets where he preached the good news of Jesus. It was determined that over the course of seven weeks, almost one million people attended the revival, isn't that incredible? Scranton, the only time you get a million people in Scranton now is uh, the La Festa Italiana, you know what I'm saying? And so the Reverend Sunday, uh, his visit to Scranton all culminated with a huge parade. And the streets of Scranton were decked out with flags and other decorations while more than 20,000 people uh, marched uh, in the parade down Lackawanna Avenue. And it was reported that workers on Wyoming Avenue were crowding their windows just to get a glimpse of the parade. Other reports said that spectators actually tipped over a beer truck so they can get a view of the parade. I don't think that would happen in Scranton today, tipping over the beer. They like their beer down in Scranton now. But back then, it was a little different, I guess. But the parade was led by Reverend uh, Sunday, uh, who was followed by a 60-man marching band decked out in colorful uniforms, playing hymns like Onward Christian Soldiers. Isn't that crazy? The Scranton Times article, which evidently took up about half of the front page, reported that people marched, quote, in the spirit of gaiety welded by the doctrine of penitence and religious humility that Mr. Sunday has driven into the hearts of listening thousands. In other words, 20,000 people marched with repentant and unified hearts down in Scranton. Now, I don't know what's more amazing. The fact that Billy Sunday's preaching impacted thousands of lives in downtown Scranton, or the fact that the Scranton Times wrote a positive story about it on the front page of the newspaper. Because let's be honest, you know, good news rarely gets a headline on the front page and good Christian news, not so much, especially in today's world. But for everything that I could see, not only did the paper treat Billy Sunday fairly, it even supported his evangelistic efforts. Just goes to show you how much the times have changed. But church, we all long to hear reports of good news, don't we? We all long to hear reports that remind us that God is still in the business of changing and transforming lives. And every once in a while, we'll hear these types of reports in the local or national news, like we recently did with the Asbury revival. And for that, we should praise God. However, if we desire good news that will sustain and encourage us well past the occasional headlines, then we need to continually go back to the supreme source of good news. You know, the Bible teaches that Jesus was sent to bring good news of great joy to all people. And unlike the headlines, which are here today and gone tomorrow, the good news of Jesus and the good news that he offers to you and me, it never changes. It always remains the same. And so this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah, we're going to spend some time revisiting the good news of Jesus. Specifically, we're going to revisit what's so good about the good news in the first place because it's easy to forget. And it's through our study that we're going to be reminded of how the good news of Christ can radically change a life, maybe, maybe, your life today. Does that sound like a plan? So let's pray, and then we'll hop in. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. Thank you for this passage that we get to dive into this morning and learn more about the work that Jesus was sent to accomplish. And so, Lord, as we enter into your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide me as I I preach it. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would work in each one of our hearts today, that you would move us to a place of change or transformation as you see fit. And God, we just entrust this time in your word to your care. And we just believe that you're going to use it to change us today. And all God's people said, amen. So church, several months ago, I told you that the book of Isaiah contains four special passages which have come to be known as servant songs. And each one of these songs, in one way or another, uniquely describe the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. They can be found in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53. Well, interestingly enough, there are some scholars who regard today's passage as the fifth servant song. And after studying the passage, I can see why. You see, the first few verses in Isaiah 61 describe with remarkable accuracy the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. How do we know this? How do we know it's about Jesus? Well, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus actually opened up a scroll and he read a portion of this passage to the people in the synagogue. And after he got done reading the portion that we're going to be talking about this morning, he rolled up the scroll of Isaiah and he told the people in Luke 4.21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus claimed that the words he read from Isaiah 61 were about him. And so with that being said, let's begin by reading the whole passage. We're going to do three verses today, and then we'll break it down. Isaiah 61. says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound So today's passage begins with God the Father commissioning Jesus Christ to bring good news to the poor. Okay, And so to be poor, that word poor, means to be distressed or to be meek or to be lowly. And so in the immediate context, remember, the Israelites, they were in distress because they were in Babylonian captivity. For them, it's been nothing but bad news for the better part of 70 years. And so this announcement that good news was on the horizon would have been a timely and welcomed relief for God's people. However, the broader context is the announcement of good news applies to anyone who's in distress. So here's the deal. If you're here this morning and you're distressed over some sort of difficult circumstance in your life, let me tell you something. You came on a good day because the good news of Jesus is for you. And so this morning, I took the liberty of breaking down today's passage into six headlines, because, you know, we're talking about news, so headlines, six headlines that show how the good news of Christ can change your life. Now, you're thinking, man, six headlines? Here's the deal. I'm going to do six headlines, 20 minutes a headline, you do the math, okay, get you out of here by four, all right? <clears throat> Not really, but anyway, Jesus, here's the first headline, Jesus offers healing over Hurting. Headline number one, healing over hurting. Look at uh, the first part of verse one, or uh, sorry, a little chunk into verse one. It says, he has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. So church, a friend once told me uh, a true story of a church that he used to attend where the pastor always came across as someone who had it all together. See, whenever he preached or whenever he taught or interacted with the church body, he gave off this impression that he just never struggled with anything. And so one day, my friend got sick of it, and so he boldly approached the pastor, and he said, do you bleed? Do you bleed? And the pastor responded, a little taken back, said, do I bleed? Well, what do you mean? And my friend said, well, every Sunday you come across as someone who has no issues, no struggles, no problems, no hurts, so do you bleed? The pastor responded, well, of course I bleed. To which my friend responded, well, not one person in this church knows that. And this story, I think, illustrates an ongoing issue in most churches today. You see, every single one of us in this room has struggles and problems and hurts. Every single one of us in this room bleeds. The problem is that most of us don't know that because we hide it from one another. Tim Keller said, the church is not a museum for pristine saints. It's a hospital ward for broken sinners. But for some reason, we tend to forget this truth on a Sunday morning. We put on these artificial smiles and pretend that everything is okay. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Of course, God knows the truth. God knows the truth. And he knows that everything isn't all right. He knows our deepest hurts and our deepest struggles and our despondent spirits and our degree of sin and brokenness. And the good news is that he knows everything. He knows it all, your deepest, darkest struggles. You know what he does? He offers to bind us up and offer us healing. You see, the brokenhearted refers to anyone who's deeply afflicted or distressed on any account. It could be distress on account of your sins. It could be on account of some sort of captivity or oppression, on account of the loss of relationships or friends, on the account of sickness or death or a host of other things. Friends, listen, whatever it is that you're hurting over this morning, Jesus offers healing. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. There was a man who all of his life refused to go to the doctor. He reasoned that doctors only gave bad news and that ignorance is bliss. However, after getting sick, his family pestered him to see a doctor get diagnosed and feel better. And so after a lot of stubborn refusal, this ailing man finally conceded that going to the doctor couldn't make his condition any worse. And so he went for some testing on a Tuesday morning. A few days later, on a Thursday morning, he went back to the doctor's office to review the test results. The doctor said, well, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. He said, The good news is you have 48 hours to live. The bad news is, I should have told you on Tuesday. (laughs) Church, in all seriousness, we all have people in our lives, perhaps you're one of those people, who refuse to go to the doctor for treatment. Doesn't matter how bad the symptoms are or how much pain, how much the pain hurts, they simply will not see the doctor to get help. You see, their stubbornness gets in the way of their healing. And I can't help but wonder how many of us are guilty of doing the same thing when it comes to going to God. Jesus Christ, the great physician of our souls, promises to bring consolation and healing and rest and renewal to anyone who comes to him. Yet in our stubbornness and pride, we choose to go it alone instead of giving it over to the Lord. And in doing so, it only makes our condition worse. Friends, if you're here today, and you're hurting and in need of healing, if your heart is broken and in need of binding, if you're bearing this weight of an overwhelming burden, whatever that burden might be, the good news is that the great physician offers to take that weight off your shoulders. And he doesn't charge any deductibles either. Let me encourage you to humble yourself. Take him up on the offer. I mean, straight out of the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in hearts. And you will, not might find rest, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This leads us to the second headline. In today's passage, Jesus offers freedom over enslavements. Look again. Stay in verse one. It Says he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Israelites they were guilty of sinning and rebelling against God, so therefore God punished them with exile, and enslavement in enemy territory. For all intents and purposes, they were prisoners. And so needless to say, again, this announcement of an anointed one coming to proclaim liberty to the captives would have been a great encouragement to the Israelites who were anxious to be set free from the shackles that were brought on by their own sin. But again, the broader context is that the Lord's announcement was meant to encourage all people who are in captivity, which, by the way, is all of us. You see, church, even though we may not be in physical captivity today, The Bible teaches that all of us are born into a spiritual captivity because of our sin. In fact, our sin has placed us on death row with no earthly possibility of parole. There's no debt that we can pay, there's no good behavior that we can do to kind of get out of this prison on our own. You see, left to ourselves, we are truly a people without hope. We're stuck. Because if we die in our sins while in this prison, we will go to a place of eternal punishment the Bible calls hell. However, the good news is that Jesus made a way for our release. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Bad news, but the good news is that we have this free gift of God. It's eternal life from Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, 2,000 years ago, God became a man in Jesus died on the cross, taking the penalty of your sins and my sins upon himself. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, and in doing so, he provided a way to receive forgiveness for your sins, be saved, and receive eternal life. And this, of course, begs the question, I know most of us probably know the answer, but how do do you receive this free gift? That's great that Jesus did it, but how do you receive it for yourself? Well, the great evangelist D.L. Moody visited a prison called the Tombs, to preach to the inmates. And after he had finished speaking, Moody talked with a number of men in their prison cells. And he asked each prisoner this question, what brought you here? And again and again, he received replies like this, I don't deserve to be here. I was framed, I was falsely accused, I was given an unfair trial. Not one inmate would admit to his guilt. Finally, Moody found one man with his face buried in his hands, weeping. And Moody asked, what's wrong, my friend? And the prisoner responded, my sins are more than I could bear. Relieved to find one man who would recognize his guilt and his need for forgiveness, the evangelist exclaimed, thank God for that. And then Moody then had the joy of pointing him to a saving knowledge of Christ, a knowledge that released him from the shackles of sin. You see, if you want to be released from the shackles of your sin and receive the free gift of eternal life, then you need to follow the example of this penitent prisoner. You need to first admit your guilt before God and your need of his forgiveness, and then you need to humble yourself and repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, trusting in him and him alone for eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, the bad news, the bad news is that our sin condemns and enslaves us. That's the bad news. But the good news of Jesus is that our belief in him liberates and saves us. At the moment of belief, God will set you free from the captivity of sin. At the moment of belief, he will give you the free gift of eternal life. But that's not all. At the moment of belief, God will empower you empower you by his spirit to live for Christ every day. It's one thing to be forgiven from the enslavement of sin and be freed from that, but God also frees us to live for him as well. Romans 6, 18 says, now you are free from your slavery of sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. In other words, as Christians, there is no sin that can have such a hard grip on us that we cannot get out without God's power. We are free to live for him because we have his Holy Spirit in us at the moment of belief. And so, listen, this offer of freedom from captivity is freely given, but it isn't forced. God, God gives each one of us the opportunity to reject him or accept him. You can choose enslavement, or you can choose freedom. Your choice. You can choose death. You can choose life. Friends, I implore you, choose Life. Choose life today if you haven't done so. Billy Graham said, I have never known a man who received Christ and ever regretted it. And I haven't either. So let me encourage you, if you've never done so before, believe in Jesus and be saved from the captivity of sin. I promise you won't regret it. And this brings us to the third headline. Jesus offers favor over judgment. Look at verse 2. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance to our God. You know, whenever we see an hourglass, what does it remind us of? Time. It reminds us of time. And when there's lots of sand on top, we know that time is still on our side, right? But when the sand gets to the bottom, we know that time is getting short. Time is running out. In either case, the hourglass reminds us that time is fleeting. You know, church, you may not realize this, but God has set an hourglass for time on the earth. And as long as there's sand on top, the earth is actually in a time of God's favor. However, when the sand runs out, the earth will be in a time of God's judgment. See, even though it may not seem like it, like when we look at all the crazy, bad, and evil things that are happening in the world today, and and there's some of that that I think we we could probably deduce that we're under God's judgment to a degree, but the reality is right now we are actually still in a time of God's favor. You see, when Jesus opened up the scroll of Isaiah, remember I told you he opened up the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue and he read to the people? When he opened up the scroll of Isaiah and he read this passage in the synagogue, You know, he stopped reading right after to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stopped there. He omitted any reference to the day of vengeance to our God. He stopped there. He closed the scroll. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. question is, why did he do that? Well, because his first coming established a time of God's favor. It established a period of time when people can freely come to faith in Christ. At his second coming, and that's what this is a reference to, at his second coming, there will be a day of vengeance of our God, a time of final judgment over God's enemies for their unbelief. And when this time comes, the door of grace will be shut forever. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8 says, He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. That's bad news. But the good news of Jesus and the good news for you and I today is that we're still in the year of the Lord's favor. There's still opportunity to believe in Jesus and be saved. There's still opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with your family and your friends and loved ones. But listen up. That's the good news. But we have to get busy. We need to get to work. Why? Because only God knows the hourglass. We don't know how much longer we have, or they have. I mean, let's face it, church. We are 2,000 years removed from Christ's first coming, which means the time for getting right with God is getting shorter. It's got to be. And if nothing else, we're certainly one day closer to the day of the vengeance of our God than we were yesterday. Yeah? Yes? Agree with me on that one? One day closer? (coughs) Excuse me. So whether you need to trust Christ for the first time, or you need to tell someone about Christ for the first time, let me encourage you to be wise with the time that you have right now because you are not guaranteed, and I am not guaranteed one more day on planet Earth. That's why 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. We're in this time of God's favor. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's good news that we're still under this time of God's favor. Let's use it to our advantage. Number four, fourth headline. God offers comfort over mourning. Look at the the second part of verse two and verse three. It says, to comfort all who mourn and to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. You know, in ancient Israel, it was common for ashes and dust to be sprinkled on the heads of God's people, when they were in a state of mourning or repentance, it served as this visual expression of their grief. And so, interestingly enough, when Isaiah wrote that the anointed one would give beauty for ashes, he used this Hebrew word that actually we cannot translate into English. The closest thing that we got is headdress or turban or tiara. And so, in essence, Isaiah is saying that Jesus was sent to wipe away the ashes of mourning from the, from the heads of God's people and replace it with this beautiful headdress. And so in the context here, mourning is a reference to being saddened about the things that sadden God. The good news of Jesus is that he provides a special and reassuring comfort to those who grieve over their sin and the sins of the world. You ever look around and just kind of grieve over what's happening in the world? Or even look at your own life and just like, man, just kind of grieve over your own sin sometimes? I think we've all been there, right? If, you're not, if you haven't been there, then we got to talk later because there's problems, okay? You've got to grieve over these things, right? And, and Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn over such these things, for they shall be comforted and so the type of comfort that jesus offers is at least twofold maybe it's even more but this is what i was able to come up what kind of comfort do we get when we consider our sins and the sins of the world well first for those who know jesus we have the comfort of knowing that god no longer holds our sins against us we have been forgiven and set free from the power of sin And so whenever the enemy uh, throws his lies or accusations our way, we have a defense to stand on, and it's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? No condemnation. No means no. None. Nunca. Nada. Nine. None. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So whenever the enemy starts throwing his darts of doubt your way and trying to make you feel ashamed about your your own guilt and your sin and your shame, if you know Jesus, you say, get thee behind me, Satan. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And secondly, for those who know Jesus, we have the comfort of knowing, we sang about it just one song ago, we have the comfort of knowing that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to remove all of sin from the world, once and for all. And one day he's going to make everything right and new. Romans 21.4 says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be crying, mourning, pain anymore. For the former things, they're gone. They've passed away. It's over. Friends, that is our hope. That is our comfort. When we see all the crud that is going on in our worlds and all the evil. And all the injustice and the hatred. Our hope and our comfort is one day Jesus is coming back. And one day he's going to make all things right and new. And if you're on his team, you got nothing to worry about. And so we praise God for that. And so all this to say those who know Christ can take great comfort knowing that the penalty of sin is absolutely covered. And the days of sin and its effects are numbered. This leads us to the fifth headline. Jesus offers joy over Sorrow. Look at verse 3. Again, it says, The oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. This guy named uh, Henry Nowen, I think is how you pronounce his name, he was a theologian, and he said this. I found this writing. He said, I have a friend who radiates joy, not because his life is easy, but because he habitually recognizes God's presence in the midst of all human suffering his own, as well as others. He said, his, my friend's joy is contagious. The more I am with him, the more I catch glimpses of the sun shining through the clouds. Yes, I know there's a sun, even though the skies are covered with clouds. But while my friend always spoke about the sun, I kept speaking about the clouds until one day I realized that it was the sun that allowed me to see the clouds. And then he says, those who keep speaking about the sun while walking under a cloudy sky are messengers of hope, the true saints of our day. Church, the good news of Jesus should compel us to be these types of saints. And I'm guilty. I, I am often, I'm the guy that talks about more about the clouds than I do about the sun. So the Lord kind of convicted me on this this weekend. But we should be saints that speak about the sun on a cloudy day. In ancient Israel, a common practice was anointing your head with oil during times of festivity and celebration. And likewise, during those times, you'd wear clothing that expressed praise and gratitude instead of sadness and grief. You weren't the man in black like Johnny Cash was. You were, you were wearing clothes that displayed how happy you were because you were excited. Uh, you, it was something joyful that you were celebrating. Well, the Israelites here, they were in a state of sadness and grief over their circumstances. There was really nothing on the outside that compelled them to have joy. And so the idea here is that the good news of Jesus can allow us to have joy even in the worst of circumstances. I've heard it defined this way. Joy is internal stability in spite of external circumstances because of the knowledge that God is in control. It is a settled assurance and a quiet confidence in God's sovereignty that results in a decision to praise him. That's joy. And Jesus even said to his disciples in John fifteen eleven, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? My joy, he's going to give, he, he actually wants to give us his joy, God's joy. He wants to give us his joy so that our joy may be full. So friend, here's the deal. This is what it comes down to. If you are a believer in Christ and you're lacking joy in your faith, then there's something wrong with your faith. Because Jesus said, I'm giving you my joy so your joy may be full. So if you're not joyful and your joy less, then there's something wrong with your faith. Billy Sunday said this, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. I like that. Even like his pose there. I feel like I get along with Billy Sunday a lot. I wish he was still alive today. Me and Billy, we'd hang out. We'd talk. We'd, we'd, have, we'd have some some good words, I think. But listen, if this if this describes you if, if you, if you're a cranky Christian, if you're just cranky, if you lack joy in your heart, let me encourage you. And I've had to do this, and listen, I... Let's just pick on me for a second. I've had to do this on, on a number of occasions in my own walk with Christ. Come before God and say, God, help me fix and find the problem. There's something going on here and I'm miserable and I'm cranky and when I look at your word and I look at the examples that we see in scripture, I have no reason to have this kind of cranky attitude. There's a leak in my Christianity somewhere. Lord, fix and find the leak. If that's you, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Pray like David did in Psalm 51, 12. He said, restore to me the, what? Joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Church, that's a prayer that I think God loves to answer. And this leads us to the last headline for today. Jesus offers strength over weakness. Look at the end of verse three. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be, glorified. You see, Isaiah uses this picture of an oak tree to show how Jesus takes what's weak and makes it strong. He takes what's despised and makes it attractive. He takes what's shameful and he makes it glorious. At the time of this prophecy, Israel was despised among the nations. They were not oak trees. They were like the weeds that grow around the oak tree. But one day, Jesus was going to restore them to glory. And in many ways, this is a picture of the life change that happens when you fully embrace the good news of the gospel. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God restores and strengthens and empowers you to live righteously and be a blessing to others. Except it's not just merely becoming a better version of yourself. It's not like I'm just going to help you be the best version of Mike Boutash that you can be. No, with, when, when you embrace the gospel, it's not the best version of yourself. It's a complete identity like transformation. You're, yourself is gone, and you're replaced with a completely new identity. Second, uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is gone. It's passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so when we fully embrace this divine transformation, people are going to see a difference, and God's going to be glorified. And so, church, all this to say, the good behind the good news is that Jesus transforms lives forever and for the better. He's the only one who can. And he's willing to transform your life today if you allow him. And so I ask, what transformation needs to take place in your life today? Because here's the, listen, we don't, if you don't come to church expecting to be changed, I don't know why you come to church. This is what it's all about. We come to church because we expect God, or at least should expect God, to move in our hearts and change us and make us more like Jesus. If you come here just to want to sit and be entertained, you're coming for the wrong reasons. Go home and watch Netflix. Because here, when the the church body comes together and we open up his word, we should expect transformation to take place. And so what transformation needs to take place in your life today? That's the question to consider. Do you need healing over hurting? I'm sure many of you might be hurting over something. Do you you need healing today? Do you need freedom over enslavement? Favor over judgment? Comfort over mourning? Joy over sorrow? Blessing or strength over shame and weakness. Friends, whatever change you need today, I want you to remember that it is possible. It is always, always possible with Jesus. It's only possible with Jesus. And it's always possible with Jesus. So let me encourage you to call upon Jesus and ask for his help. That's the good news. And I promise I promise because God promises it. If you ask him for transformation that is according to his will, he will answer your prayers. Jesus said so. He said in John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it according to his will. Amen? So as as you ponder maybe what, change or transformation needs to happen in your life today. We're going to close our time out by celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so if you don't have, if you you didn't grab one of these on your way in, just put your hands up in the air and the ushers will come bring you one. Just keep your hand up until you actually have one in your hand so they don't miss you. And while we're waiting for a few people to get their elements, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter You know, the beauty about celebrating the Lord's Supper is it has a built-in formula that causes us to have to examine ourselves and ask the Lord, where do we need transformation in our lives? It's part of what we're supposed to do when we celebrate. Because here's the deal. When we think about the Lord's Supper... We would not have good news if we did not have the cross and the resurrection. And, which in and of itself is just a beautiful thing to be able to close with remembering what Jesus did on the cross. But even more so, because of what he did on the cross, if we are believers in this room, God asks us to examine ourselves. But don't take my word for it. Let's see what God's word says in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in Verse 23. The Lord's death, right? But Then he goes on. He said, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person then examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. You see, church... The Apostle Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. He was writing to a group of believers. He was writing to, to God's people. And God's people, I mean, actually, spoiler alert, our next series is going to be 1 Corinthians, so we're going to actually be able to work through this a little bit, and we're going to see how messed up this church was, which gives us hope, honestly. <laughs> I mean, actually, what gives me hope every day is that pretty much every church Paul wrote to was messed up to a degree, so we're all in good company here. But 1 Corinthians, uh, the church of Corinth, they were, they were mishandling and abusing the Lord's Supper. They were living in sin, and and getting drunk, and all this kind of stuff, and then celebrating the Lord's Supper. I mean, it was just, just it was not a good situation. It It was very irreverent what was happening in Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul wrote to them and said, hey, here's the proper protocol. You guys all need to have a heart check. And so that principle continues on to this day. As believers, we need to check ourselves, and ask God, to reveal any sin that's in our hearts before we receive uh, the Lord's Supper, before we celebrate this ordinance. And so I'd like to give you guys just the next uh, few moments in silence to just ask God, Lord, examine my heart. If there's a leak in my Christianity somewhere, reveal that to me. If there's any sin that needs confessing, reveal that to me. Whatever transformation needs to happen, transform me. Take this time, just you and the Lord, and just in in a few moments of silence to kind of get your heart in the right area, and then we'll receive the Lord's Supper together. Father God, as we sit here and examine our own lives, undoubtedly your Holy Spirit is faithful to reveal areas of our lives that that need work, that need transformation. Undoubtedly, right now you're revealing to us where there are leaks in our faith. And God, we ask for your forgiveness. We remember That it's all these things that, that are coming to our minds right now. These are all the things, all the sins that you've died for. And we cannot praise you enough for that sacrifice, Lord. Because as we examine our own lives and the sin in our own lives, in and of ourselves we stand condemned. There's nothing we can do, but we are so thankful that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And so we are thankful for your sacrifice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus had given thanks. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This time I'd like to call uh, the praise team forward along with the prayer team. And if you need prayer this morning, if there's something going on in your life that you just need somebody to pray over you with, the prayer team will be up front and available uh, after the service ends. We're going to close our service ...with a song of celebration that remembers. It's a reminder to us that the good news can only come through Jesus. He's the only one possible of giving us life transformation. And that's something that we ought to celebrate this morning. So let me pray over you one more time, and we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Father God, I want to thank you so much for the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, the reality is, we wouldn't understand what good news is... ...unless we understood what the bad news is. And we just thank you that you revealed to us, even in this portion of Scripture, Lord... ...all the areas that we, as your people, have failed... Yet you were always victorious, God. You have given us that free gift of eternal life. You have set us free from the shackles of sin. You heal our hurting. You comfort us uh, who mourn. You turn our shame into glory, God. You are an amazing God. And we praise you and we thank you. And I just pray, Father God, if there's anyone here that does not know you as Savior, may today be the day of their salvation. If there's anyone here this morning that needs life transformation, may today be the day of that transforming work in their hearts. God, we will give you glory for it, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.